0: Good morning. Thanks for being at Open Life today. We're really glad that you're here. Um, The series is called The Gospel of Luke, and so since the beginning of the year, we've been walking through Luke, um, just verse by verse, story by story, just kind of seeing how Jesus interacted with people and how he lived his life. And I was thinking about this earlier this week when I was preparing for the message, and it's like I've kind of been encouraged by it because it's cool to see like the way Jesus lived. It's cool to see kind of like how he interacted with people, how he took different people and then interacted with them differently. And one of the cool things about this is we're not like skipping any stories. We're not skipping any verses. We're just going through and we're reading what the Bible says. And so it's like you come to different parts that maybe you've never heard spoken on before, because maybe they're just like these weird verses that you've never heard. And so that's what's kind of cool. And so today we're talking about fasting. And I know um, for me, when I was growing up in the church, not even many people even talked about fasting that much. No one really like, talked about you know, what it meant to give up food or for, for a meal to pray and to seek after God. And so that's what we're talking about today, because that's what Jesus talked about. It's an issue that Jesus addressed, it was an issue that's put to him by the Pharisees. And so as we're going, and what I've been trying to do throughout this whole series, is think about how I fit into this story. How does my life interact with Scripture? How does my life fit into the story that Jesus is living out? Am I, am I more like a Pharisee? Am I more like a person who Jesus comes after, who, who you know, who is full of sin? And so you can find different ways that you interact with Scripture, how you interact with Jesus. And so as we read the story today, think about what part of the story are you a part of, and kind of let the Word of God speak to you. And so we're just going to jump right in, and we're going to go a little bit different. We're not going to read the whole story at the beginning, but we're just kind of going to go verse by verse. And so we start off in Luke 5.33, and so it goes, They said to him, John's disciples often fast and pray, and so do the disciples of Pharisees. But yours go on eating and drinking. And so the they of this this verse is the Pharisees. The Pharisees are asking Jesus, why is it that our Pharisees or why is it our disciples and the disciples of John fast, but your disciples and the disciples, but your disciples just continue on eating and drinking? And so the Jesus is posed this question. And so the context of what we're talking about falls in the same setting as last week's talk about Jesus eating and drinking with sinners. The Pharisees are still really perturbed by this. They're bugged by it. It really bugs them that Jesus is associating himself with sinners, with tax collectors, with people that are full of sin. And so if you missed last week's, I really, really encourage you to jump on our website, go to our message archive, and just listen to last week's message, because it was really good. That explained a lot of things about legalism and religiosity and stuff like that. And so I'd encourage you to read it, because it gives you context today's message. But basically, last week, we had the Pharisees asking Jesus why he chose to associate with such people. And now we have the same people asking him why his disciples are not fasting, but still eating and drinking. And so for those who don't know, fasting is the practice of giving up a combination of food and drink for a period of time in in hopes of praying to God or, or, you know, being closer to God. And so in the Old Testament of the Bible, which is the Bible that the the people grew up with in Jesus' time, we see the practice of fasting in a couple of different settings. So I just want to read a few verses that would explain that a little bit better. It can be part of the Jewish festivals. In Leviticus 16.31, we read about the Day of Atonement, and it was a festival for people to atone for their sin, to, to, you know, repent or like uh, Confess their sins to God. And so in Leviticus 1631 it says, "It is a Sabbath of rest, and you must deny yourselves. It is a lasting ordinance. And so the people denied themselves in order to show God that they were confessing, or they were giving up their sin. But fasting would also be done by the people to spare them from negative outcomes. We see in Judges 20, 26, the verse says, The Israelites, all the people, went up to Bethel, and there they sat weeping before the Lord. They fasted that day until evening and presented burnt offerings and fellowship offerings to the Lord. The people of Israel are trying to appease God by, by fasting, by praying, by giving burnt offerings, by giving sin offerings. And so basically, fasting in the Old Testament before Jesus is done by the person fasting in order to petition God to come to the aid of whatever situation they may find themselves in. It oftentimes comes from an attitude of sorrow or pain. People feel pain or they feel sorrow, and so they fast because they think that's what they have to do for God. And after a while, the people begin to abuse the practice of fasting. It becomes like not a heartfelt thing, but a thing they just do like every week or multiple times a week to just appease God, to like have that religious spirit inside of them that says, Well, I did this, so that must mean I'm good. And so it becomes a ritualized action to the point that even the prophets, the persons chosen to speak for God, they they speak out against the people fasting because their hearts aren't in it. And so we read in Jeremiah 14:12, speaking on the behalf of God, it says, Although they fast, I will not listen to their cry though they offer burnt offerings and grain offerings, I will not accept them. And so what may have been an honest, sincere act to begin with, for the people of Israel, it turns back, they turn their back on God, and then fasting becomes a meaningless and weightless ritual, done to be seen by God, but not done to move towards Him. They just do it to be seen. They do it because it makes them feel better. They do it because they think if they fast, then they're okay. But they're not really having their heart in it. They're not doing it because like, they want to actually be closer to God. And so we've, when we fast forward to the time of this passage with Jesus, we find that the same attitude is still ingrained in the thought process of the Pharisees. Many Pharisees maybe fasted twice a week. It was a regular ritual for the religious people to pray and fast and to tell people all about it. They let people know that they were fasting, because it made them feel better to know that they were doing something. And so Jesus was most likely trained in the same way as the Pharisees were, in their view of fasting. I mean, he grew up, he was a religious teacher, so he grew up with the same teaching, but he knew the true purpose of fasting. We're talking about the Son of God, and he's living his life and he knows the true purpose of what fasting is. He fasted for 40 days while he was being tempted by the devil. We read about that earlier, a few months ago. And so he's being tempted in the desert by the the devil and he's fasting this whole time for 40 days. He doesn't eat any food and the devil tempts him and he says, man does not live by bread alone. And so we're talking about fasting. Jesus knew what fasting was. He knew that it was a gateway for him to be closer to Jesus, which is actually closer to God, which was his father. And so, his response to the Pharisees' question of asking why his disciples don't fast, but how come our disciples do? How come the disciples of John fast, but your disciples don't, Jesus? Jesus' answer is telling. In Luke five thirty four, he says, Jesus answered, Can you make the guests of the bridegroom fast while he is with them? But the time will come when the bridegroom will be taken from them. In those days, they will fast. And so, you have two groups of people here you have Jesus and his disciples. And then you have the Pharisees and their disciples. Jesus is a son of God in the flesh, and he's ushering in the kingdom of God. The Pharisees are the ones who are supposed to be the religious people, the ones praying. They're supposed to be fasting daily. They're they're actually praying. What's one of the things they're praying for? They're praying for their Messiah to come. They're praying for a Savior the political turmoil in this time is just crazy. I mean, Jews were being persecuted. They, they didn't like Roman rule of their time. And so the Pharisees are the people that are praying. They're fasting, and they're praying for a Savior. And so the, they're the ones who are supposed to actually see Jesus, because they're the ones that are trying to be expectant of it. But they miss the whole point. They see Jesus standing right in front of them, and they don't see that He's the Son of God. And so... They think if they pray enough, fast enough, live religiously enough, then they are right with God. The really unfortunate part of this story is their religiosity didn't help them recognize Jesus when he's right there in front of them. And so earlier in in Luke, we read about two people when Jesus was a baby, he was taken to the temple. And the people, there were Simeon and Anna, two people that Jesus met when he was a baby, But both of them were both described in the scriptures as they were religious. They were devout people who followed after God. They fasted and they prayed, and they recognized who Jesus was as a little baby. They saw the crying mess. They saw the dirty diapers. I'm sure Jesus was like any other baby. He cried. He pooped his diaper. You know, he, he was a normal baby. But even then, Anna and Simeon were the ones who saw who Jesus was. They saw it. They saw that his poor parents, but they still knew. They were able to say, look, this is Jesus. This is the Son of God. And so when we're talking about fasting, we need to realize, and it's your first point today, is fasting should help us recognize Jesus. You know, it's, op- it's okay to pray daily, to be on a Bible reading plan, memorize scripture, fast an entire day of eating, you can do all of these things. And sometimes we we persecute the Pharisees so much that we think, well, <clears throat> I don't make maybe I shouldn't pray daily, because if I do that, it's gonna become repetitive and you know then I'm not gonna mean it. Or we you know there's this mentality that comes, well no, that stuff is good. To be fervent, to be a pursuer of God in a strong way and a consistent basis, that's what we want, and that's a good thing. But when you lose the focus and sight of what you're actually praying for, what you're actually fasting for, just like the Pharisees did, then you lose sight of it. It's when we, when we, when we're doing these religious things, and we don't realize that Jesus is the reason for all of it, then we lose sight of why we're actually doing it. And so the Pharisees fast and pray religiously, waiting for a Savior, and when He comes, they don't recognize Him. Jesus tries to explain to them that the time of fasting is over, because I'm here. The party already started, you guys, and you're totally missing out on it. The sick are being healed, the poor are being ministered to, and the corrupt, the drunkards, the the gluttons all have a chance to sit at the table because of Jesus and repent. Yet the Pharisees can't see clearly enough through their rules, traditions, and religiosity to understand that Jesus is the fulfillment of those rules and traditions. And so, why would the disciples fast? Why would Jesus' disciples fast when they walk hand in hand with Jesus, when they're right there with him? The time of fasting will come for them, but it hasn't arrived yet. Jesus is eventually going to be crucified. The bridegroom is going to be taken from his guests, and then that will be the time for Jesus' disciples to fast, but not at that time. For Jesus' disciples, now is the time to celebrate. Now is the time to be joyous, to be thankful, to be excited for the coming of the kingdom of God. Ultimately, that excitement comes to a halt for them when Jesus is crucified. For those three days, that joy and that excitement is all gone. They lived with Jesus for three and a half years, they walked with him, they talked with him, they got to see him do miracles, miraculous things, and then he's crucified. And so for three days, they're mourning. Jesus saying, I'm here with you now. He's telling us, I'm here with you now. You don't need to fast because I'm here, but there will be a time when you will fast. And so three days after he's crucified, he, he raises to life, he's resurrected, and that's kind of the crux of the whole story. It's like the, the epitome of everything we believe hinges on the fact that Jesus rose again. And so for us, that excitement continues And it's in full force today because Jesus rose again and His Spirit is alive in us, living right now. And so Jesus earned our salvation on the cross so we don't have to earn it ourselves. And so if you came to church today, if you came to Open Life today thinking that you have to work or do something in order to be in God's good graces, then you'll be pleased to know that Jesus already did the work. He already did the doing. There's nothing we can do that would say, like, oh, God's going to say, oh, well, you did this and now you're good. The only thing you have to do is believe in Jesus, that he lived a perfect life, that he was crucified and rose again and is living today. That's what brings you salvation. It's not how much good you do. It's not how much prayer you do, how much fasting you do. Those are all things that bring you closer to Jesus, but are not the things that make you have salvation. And so fasting helps us Acknowledge that Jesus is alive in us. That's the second point. So fasting helps us recognize who Jesus is, but it also helps us acknowledge that Jesus is alive, living inside of us right now. So when we fast, we simply are saying we're not even going to hold our desire for food above our desire for Jesus. There's times when we just need to say, you know what, my desire for food, even my desire to have a Big Mac or to have a, a sandwich at lunch or to have a breakfast, even my desire when I wake up in the morning and I'm hungry, my desire for fleshly food does not surpass my hunger, my spiritual desire for who Jesus is and that He's living in me. And so, although we don't have Jesus physically with us like the disciples did, we do get to share in the joy of salvation that came from Jesus. Through, fa- through, through him, through Jesus, fasting has turned from sorrowful mourning, trying to get God to do stuff for us. And it's become a joyous celebration, thanking God for what he did for us, thanking Jesus for his sacrifice, thanking him that he's alive inside of us, it's a joyful celebration for Jesus who lives in us when we choose to follow him. And so Jesus brings a radical newness to our lives. And Luke continues in 536, Jesus tells him this parable. He says, he told him this parable. No one tears a patch from a new garment and sews it on an old one. If he does, he will have torn the garment, and the patch from the new will not match the old. And no one pours new wine into old wineskins. If he does, the new wine will burst the skins, The wine will run out and the wineskins will be ruined. No, new wine must be poured into new wineskins. And Jesus uses this parable to explain to the Pharisees that the construct in which they understand God must now be changed. It must now be solely based on Jesus. The cornerstone of what the Pharisees believe needs to just totally be changed. The cornerstone needs to be on Jesus, but they don't recognize him. Jesus came so all would come to know him and have eternal life. But the Pharisees can't keep their religiosity and have Jesus at the same time. That would be like putting a new patch on an old pair of jeans and thinking that, well, now my jeans are good to go. Now they're new. Or putting a new wine into an old wineskin. The jeans would be torn and the wineskins would be burst. And so, a personal story, in college, you know, I'm a poor college student, and I, you know, I tried to keep my appearance as good as it could, but I didn't have a lot of money to spend on clothes, and so I had these one pair, I think they're gap jeans, and I just love the comfort and the way they fit, you know, they're just like, the jeans you wear, like, you could wear them anywhere, but they had, like, those little tears, like, on the legs, just a little bit, like, just small little tears to, like, give the, like, worn look that they've been worn before, the old look, and so I really like them. I just, I love to wear them. They're one of my favorite pairs of jeans. Well, one time I was like walking in my apartment in college, and one of the knobs on our cabinet just got like literally lodged in one of those little tears, and so I walked, and it just completely tore my jeans, and so I was like really disappointed, because these are, these are my good like pair of jeans that I wear all the time, you know, and I'm going through it, and I'm like, okay, well, what do I do now? I'm a poor college student. Literally when I was in college, I worked at an inflatable castle warehouse birthday party place. And so it was a fun job, and I, I was a supervisor there, so it was a pretty big deal. But um, it didn't pay a lot of money. And so I'm like, I usually just used my paycheck for gas and for a little bit of food that I could afford. And so I'm, I'm like, OK, well, what do I do? Well. Uh, like a week later, I'm I'm going home to visit my family. They live down in Vancouver. I was up in Kirkland, and so we when I went home. And so my dad is a very frugal person, and so anything to save money, he's like he'll raise his hand. I'll I'll do it. You know, like if we can save a couple bucks, you know, he'll do whatever it is. And so he's like, I was like I was telling him my story. I'm like I need to go buy some new jeans because I have these old pair. And so what does he do? Of all people in my family, my dad is the sewer. Like, you usually think, like, oh, my mom, like, can you stitch this stuff for me? No, we, m- me and my sister, we go to my dad to stitch stuff, st- stitch stuff up. And so he's like, well, I'll patch them for you. And I'm like, I'm like, really? Would, like, that, like, work? And he's like, yeah, we have some, like, one of those, like, jean patches or whatever. And so he finds it, he sews it up. And so then there was, like... <clears throat> By this time, though, it was really big. And so he found an old pair of jeans and took a pocket, a back pocket off of it and put it on the front above it. And so I'm like, well, these are kind of cool. Like, they're kind of weird looking now, but they're like, if I wear them, I'll be like making a statement. So it'll be kind of a cool thing. And so he he stitches them up for me. And so I'm like, cool. I got my, like, comfortable, like, nice pair of jeans back. I don't know if you could say they're nice now, but I still wore them. And so... At the time, I'm dating my wife, Danny, and um, it was a good thing we were kind of past, like, we weren't engaged yet, but we'd been dating long enough to where, like, my, the clothes that I wear wouldn't, like, make or break the relationship. So it was, like, a good thing that we were pretty far along, because I would wear these things, and she would just be like, I, like, cannot believe you're wearing them. So there'd be times where, you know, like, she would, like get my roommates to try and like find the pair of jeans and she would take them and throw them away. And I'm like, no, you can't touch these things. But the funny thing is, is like after one wash, like just it did not match up. Like the, the pair of jeans would shrink more than the patch itself because the patch was old. And so that's what Jesus is talking about in this parable. It's like you can't take a, a, like a new patch and put it on an old pair of jeans or vice versa. You can't mix and match and expect to have a good pair of jeans. And so when we when we're talking about a new wineskin is made you have a small hide of a, you have a small animal hide that's like has all the f- hair removed from it and it's sewn together. And so you have a fresh like you know an animal that's just been killed you skin it, you hide it, you sew it together and you create this pouch for some wine. And so you pour the wine into it and so you're pouring new wine into this new wineskin. And so, what it does is, as it ferments, and as it, like, you know, does that process, it's going to make the, the wineskin stretch. It's actually going to stretch out. And so, by the time, like, the wine is ready to drink, then the the wineskin is stretched out a little bit. And so, the problem is, what Jesus is saying, is you can't pour new wine into an old wineskin that's already been used. If you did this, the wine's going to ferment, And if all the stretching capability of the wineskin is gone, it's going to burst. And then all the wine is going to be poured out. And so Jesus is explaining that when you're trying to take new things and put them into old constructs or old vessels, the outcome is always going to turn out wrong. The Pharisees lived their lives in a religious way. That was their construct. That's what they knew. That's what they knew in order to live in right relationship with God is they had to offer sacrifices, that they had to be religious, that they had to fast two times a week. And if they didn't, then that would be bad. But it's all about what they're doing. It's, you never hear them like, like, the Pharisees are like, well, God is pleased by this. No, it's like, I'm mad that you're hanging out with sinners. I'm mad that you're not fasting. This hurts me. But they never think about how it relates to God. And so God sends his son, he brings this new wine into the world, and Jesus is saying, you can't put me into the old construct, this old wineskin that you Pharisees have, and expect that it's going to turn out good. Both of them, it's just going to end up in a mess. And so Jesus is saying, you have to change your mindset. You have to change your construct. You have to have a new wineskin. You have to be recreated new in order for me to come into you and have an awesome vessel of of living in relationship with God. And so for the Pharisees, this meant that they needed to repent from their religiosity and turn towards Jesus. Throw out the old wineskins and put the new wine in the new wineskins. Unfortunately, they were unwilling to do this. But who was willing to do it? Jesus' disciples were. Also adding the characters from last week, we have people who were called drunkards. We had people who were called gluttons. We had tax collectors. They were the ones who were willing to become new wineskins, if you're going to use the metaphor. They were ones willing to change their lives, to give up everything and follow Jesus, and let that new wine enter into their life as a new wineskin, and then see what God would use with it. They saw the newness of Jesus. Instead of looking to fitting him in their old construct, they chose to put new wine into new wineskins. And so that's what we're also called to do today. This is for everyone. This is for all of us. Not only is he just talking about the old view of fasting, this sorrowful, this mourning side, versus the new side, which is joyful and celebratory, he's also talking about our own old constructs in our lives that need to be torn down. You know, some of us grew up in religion, We're prone to judge and miss Jesus just like the Pharisees did. But some of us could just be figuring out who Jesus is. Maybe, you know, you're just starting in this walk towards Jesus, and you're still t- learning all these new things. But maybe you came from a past that you're just not very proud of. Maybe you did some things in your past that you're, that you're ashamed of, that, that you're not proud of. And I'm here to say that both, both sides of the coin, whether you grew up in church, whether you grew up, you know, doing everything wrong, both of us have old wineskins to get rid of. For some people, it's getting rid of their religiosity. For some people, it's choosing to be forgiven of something they did in their past. And I don't know what it is, but all of us are called to get rid of our old wineskins and be created into new wineskins so that we can be vessels ready for the new wine that is Jesus. And Jesus is the one who does that transformation in our lives. And I'm really glad that last week Thad talked from Romans 12.2, um, but this week I want to include the verse right before it, because it really talks about this like, idea of fasting and de- denying our bodies. And so this is what it says in Romans 12.1-2. Therefore I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, His good, pleasing, and perfect will. This is a continual process of being renewed and pouring new wine into new wineskins. Everyone has to go through this process, and everyone has a seat at the table with the bridegroom, with Jesus. We all get to have a seat there. He already came. Jesus already came, but he has also not yet returned. He promises that he is coming back. He rose again, and he said, I will return. And so there's this idea of Jesus has already come, but he's also not yet returned, and already and not yet. And so that's when fasting comes in. After Jesus died and rose again and ascended into heaven, we see a couple of instances in the early church where the church began to pray and fast both together. And so Acts 13, 2-3 says, While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. So after they had fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them and sent them off. Acts 14, 23 says, Paul and Barnabas appointed elders for them in each church and with prayer and fasting committed them to the Lord in whom they had put their trust. We see in the sending out of people to do the Lord's ministry in the, um, the, oh, sorry, I lost my place, but in the, in the, in the appointment of leaders and pastors in the church, that those were times when they needed direction from God, and the church saw it as a time for them to pray and fast, to come closer to Jesus through the act of fasting. And so, if your heart isn't in fasting, then it really just becomes another way for you to show your righteousness, for you to be prideful. But Jesus, as we see in the early church, they saw it as a way to humble themselves and to let themselves be guided by God. And so, if you do it just to be seen or just to say, well, to put it on your belt of good things that you've done, then you've missed the whole point of what fasting is about. And so when I practice fasting in my own life, in my own personal walk with Jesus, it's always been done to draw me closer to who Jesus is. And I've seen in my own life and in the lives of friends or other mentors who have done this, where fasting oftentimes precedes a time of direction or a time of when God used them for healing or healed something in their family or in their own body. And so I don't say this, I don't say that to promise you that, well, if you fast, then you're going to get everything you pray for. No. But I will say that if you're fasting, you're going to grow closer to Jesus. If you choose to put Jesus over your hunger, you're going to grow closer to God. You're going to depend on Him. And it's not just in a spiritual way, but it's in a physical way. And so I think that's the cool thing is that when you fast, it takes something spiritual that maybe you've only seen as a spiritual thing. Yes, Jesus, I want salvation. That's a spiritual thing. But when you choose to fast, you're saying, I'm also going to let it come into my physical life, and I'm going to depend on God for something to just even get through not having a meal. For some people, that's a big deal to give up a meal and just pray. That would be like a big struggle for them. And so there's no, like, whoa, you're super spiritual. You did a three-day fast. Like, that's so cool. Well, for some people, a three-day fast is one meal. Like, that would, like, you turn into a big crank after one meal. Like, you might as well have not eaten for three days because you're acting the same way. And so that's a big deal where, where we're saying it's physical, but it's also spiritual. But it's all about the celebration of the newness of Jesus. And so you might be at a crossroads in your life right now. Maybe there's some direction that you're going and you need, just, you, you need God to speak to you and tell you which way you need to go. Maybe you need some healing in your life. Maybe something's going on. And so I would encourage you to fast. Not to like just say, well, then your prayers are going to be answered. Then you're going to be directed and, and, you know, and everything's going to be great because like fasting is just the key to unlocking the power of Jesus it can be. But think of it this way, wouldn't it be better if you were as close to Jesus as you possibly could when you need direction? In times when you're asking questions and you're struggling through something, wouldn't it be a good idea that in those times when you have doubt, when you have fear, when you have sorrow over something, wouldn't that be a good time to say, Jesus, I'm going through this something in my life, and I want to be as close to you as humanly possible as I go through this trial. And so for for me in my life, that's been when my mom has tests to see if her cancer has come back. And like, she just had one two weeks ago, and so people prayed. I fasted for a little bit, and just you don't do it just to say, oh, well, everything's going to be okay. You do it to help you get through it, to say, you know what? I love Jesus more than my hunger, and I think he has a plan for me in in this thing called life. And so when you do that, I want you to be encouraged that when you're going through hard times, that's the time to fast and pray. That's the time to like say, God, I'm going to put you over my hunger. I'm going to put you over my earthly flesh and say, God, I want to do something That gets me closer to you so that I know I'm making the right decisions. So that I know I'm doing everything in the right way as much as I can because you're directing me through it. And so it might seem weird to you at first when you talk about fasting, but I bet when you first prayed for that first time, when you first chose to say a prayer to Jesus, I bet that was a little weird for you. I bet the moment you opened your Bible, and maybe you never knew what the Bible was, you never even read read it before, I bet that was a little weird to read the Bible. And so I think fasting is just another natural step of you to stretch yourself in your walk with God and to be stretched as you're doing it to be closer to Him. And honestly, you might say when you're going through, you might say, well, what the heck am I doing? Like, why did I just decide to not eat for a whole day? But when you're doing that, just pray and ask God for direction. Ask God to speak to you. And so, In conclusion today, I just want to go over five quick things. You can write them in on your hands up, but they're just kind of notes on fasting to to make it kind of a successful journey. The first one is to make a plan. And it's important to go into whatever kind of fasting you're doing like with something written down or a plan. Are you going to go without both food and drink for like a whole day? Are you going to do just one meal maybe for a week? Or are you just going to do one meal one day? It's good to have a plan beforehand, so then you're not just like, well, you know what? Um, I didn't, I didn't have any lunch plans today, so I'm just gonna fast. Like that's fine if you feel directed by God to do it, but oftentimes that can be like, I think I'm gonna fast, and then your buddy asks you, hey, uh, do you wanna go out to lunch with me? Oh yeah, I think I'm gonna, I'm then gonna go out to lunch now. It's like okay, you just made a step, like, to be obedient to God, and then all of a sudden you just switch, like, oh, I'll just do it later, you know? It's like, make a plan. Make it purposeful. Make it so that, like, you know you're going to fulfill it, and you're going to do it. The second one is be safe, and I don't know what your health situation is or your work situation, like, if you expend a lot of energy, but the point of fasting is to grow closer to Jesus, but not to actually take you to Him. So, like, Don't, like, don't, like, go crazy and just think, well, hey, I'm a labor worker, and I'm just not going to eat for a whole week, you know? Like, that would be not safe. So I encourage you, if you have, like, health concerns, like, you know, like, you actually need to eat three meals a day, then, like, maybe talk to your doctor and just say, hey, I'm, like, going through this process. I I actually want to try fasting, you know, to help me grow closer to God. And so um, it might be an opportunity for talk to your doctor about God. But, um, but if you really need to do that, I encourage you to do that. This is like the fine print of this message. Like if this were a pharmaceutical commercial, this, you know, 30 minutes of speaking today, this is the uh, symptoms could include or whatever, you know. This is the fine print of the message. Be safe about fasting, okay? And so the next one is keep it personal, Jesus says on Matthew 6:16 6, through 18 he says this also about fasting when you fast do not look somber as the hypocrites do for they disfigure their faces to show men they are fasting i tell you the truth they have received their reward in full but when you fast put oil on your head and wash your face so that it will not be obvious to men that you are fasting but only to your father who is unseen in your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you Fasting is not so that we can be built up and become prideful and become proud of ourselves for the things we're doing for God. Fasting is so that we can be humbled, so that we can realize more who Jesus is in our life. The Pharisees fasted regularly, but the problem is is they were religious enough because they were fasting and praying They were religious enough to see that other people weren't fasting. They were so religious, they fasted so much that that they were, they puffed themselves up so much that they're able to see that other people weren't. But they weren't able to see the Son of God walking right before their very eyes. They weren't holy enough to see that the Son of God had come into flesh right in front of their eyes, and they don't see the Savior they see a guy who's not fasting. Like, literally. And, like, I think about, like, when they see Jesus crucified and they, they hear the stories about him raising, being resurrected, and I'm like, for me, I would hope that even in that situation, like, seeing him crucified and, and being resurrected, I hope if I was a Pharisee, I'd be able to say, man, I really screwed that up. I really I really missed the boat. I should have saw that he was the son of God and not just saw that, oh, you're hanging out with sinners. Oh, you're not fasting. But we see that the Pharisees, they never turned. They never repented. I hope some of them did. But we don't hear a lot about that. And so my hope would be that as you fast, that it's a personal decision for you to humble yourself and see Jesus, to recognize who He is, and to acknowledge that He is alive inside of you and He's changing you. And so the fourth one is to pray. Fasting is not a diet. It's not just you're giving up food just so that you can be hungry. You're doing it to replace the time that you would take to eat, to prepare the meal, and you're taking the time to pray. Pray. It's not like, oh, I'm giving up a meal, I'm I'm fasting today, so now I have more time to be on Facebook or more time to watch something on Netflix. It's like, no, like, take the time to, like, not make a meal and take that, like, 45 minutes or an hour or 30 minutes or whatever it is to just pray, to ask God for guidance, ask God for direction. And then the fifth one is to celebrate. I don't think we do this enough. I don't think we celebrate or thank God for like just the newness of His Spirit inside of us. To be joyful about the new wine that He offers us, we don't celebrate enough. We don't just say thank you. And so, if you choose to fast, I encourage you to really celebrate it personally. Celebrate it with a close friend. Just say, "Hey, you know what? I've tried this thing. I've never tried it before. I started fasting, but." talk to a friend and say, this is what I learned from this situation. Maybe, like, you want to tell someone about it. Maybe you want to email one of the pastors here at Open Life, or maybe in the coming weeks, if you choose to do it over a course of time, or you choose to do it in two weeks or whatever, write on your connection card the next week and say, hey, I fasted this week, and like, this is what happened even if, just to say that you did it, and you said, I, maybe I, you didn't feel anything, but maybe there's just this story of you just being obedient to, to try something to help you go deeper and closer to Jesus. And so we've talked about fasting, we've talked about the new wine, the new wineskins, and then Jesus finishes that parable with kind of a jab at the Pharisees, but it's a warning for us to, to heed as we pursue Jesus, and it, it ends like this in Luke five thirty nine, and he said, this is Jesus' saying, he ends the parable talking about the patch on the, on the clothes, and the old wine, and the new wineskins, and he says this, and no one after drinking old wine wants the new, for he says the old is better, and so like this, what he's Jesus is saying here, it's like a, a shot across the bow to the Pharisees, he's saying, you know what, The bridegroom is here. There's a party going on because the kingdom of God is here, and you guys are missing out on the party. The new wine is here. It's being put into new wine skids. The construct is changing. Everything's changing. Like instead of putting a new patch on old jeans, I'm making new jeans for people to wear, new clothes for people to wear in their spirit. And he's saying, you know what? You guys are gonna drink a sip of the new wine, and you're gonna say, you know what? The old is better. And it's like, I don't want to be the person who says, you know what, Jesus, you have a new creation, you have newness, you make my spirit new, but you know what, I think the old is better. I don't want to be that guy. I don't want to be the person that says, you know what, my old life, as someone who judged people and like got mad when people sinned and and messed up because I thought I was so holy and so worthy of God's grace and forgiveness that you had to do a bunch of things in order to receive grace. I don't want to be that guy anymore. I want to be the guy that says, you know what, you could do the worst thing in the world, but God's grace is still powerful enough to rescue you from your situation. And so for some of you today, if you don't know Jesus, maybe you've done something so terrible that you feel like I'm. I'm just gonna come to church. I'm gonna do this so that I can become good, and then I'm gonna accept Jesus. And it's like I don't want you to do that. I want you to accept the love of Jesus and the forgiveness of sin, so that you can have it for your life. So that you can have that new wine, and you can become a new wineskin skin and hold that in your life. So sometimes we think, you know what? I, I'm gonna. I'm going to be changed. I'm going to receive that new wine. And then I, you know what? I should just shelve it. I should be fermented for a while. And then I'll become good wine. But the thing about Jesus, the creator of new wine, is that his new wine is the best wine. It's the best. And so there's nothing, there's no amount of work you can do to earn your salvation. No amount of work you can do to earn your grace. It's because when you receive the new wine, you become the best. Everything is wiped clean. The slate is gone and you just have life and you have newness and you have fullness of joy and of mercy and of grace and of love. And so receive that today. And so the action steps for day is to, the first one is just to spit out the old wine. So for whether you've been a Christian your whole life or you've just started following Jesus, whatever that is, whatever your old wine is, spit it out. Turn from your sin. Repent. Turn to Jesus. Turn from your religiosity and just choose to embrace Jesus for his fullness and his newness. And the second thing is to celebrate the newness of Jesus. Just celebrate it this week. Just thank God for it and live it out and own it. And then the final thing is, why don't you try fasting? We're going to tweet out a link from our um, Twitter uh, at Open Life Church. We're going to tweet out a link and it'll be on the website as well um, on the message archive. But uh, just a quick website where you can go and just learn about different types of fasts. If you were wanted to say, well, maybe I want to do more than just a meal or maybe I want to do a three-day thing or maybe I want to do something longer. Whatever it is, try. why don't you try it and then tell someone about it. So let's just pray. Let's just thank God for his newness and his fullness. God, we thank you you are the new wine. God, I thank you that that through your transformation, through your power that you have in our lives, God, that we can become new wineskins, God. And I pray that we would not turn to the old wine of our lives, God, whether that's religiosity, whether that's past sin, God, let us not turn to the old wine and say the old wine is better, but let's drink of the new wine and say this is the best. This is the best. Jesus, you are the best that I can have, and you transform me into the best. And so I pray that we would walk in that this week, God. And so I pray for some who are going to fast this week. I pray that you would empower them to see you clearly, that they would acknowledge your power in their life, and that they would walk in that truth and in that love, God. And, and for some, God, I just pray that they would make the step today to just check the box and say, I want to become a follower of Jesus. Just right now, as we respond, I pray that they would just pray to you, God, and say, God, I'm not doing this right. I want to have that fullness. I want to have that newness. I want to celebrate that. God, wherever we're at on the spectrum, God, I pray that you would let us look to you to recognize your sacrifice, to acknowledge it in our own lives, God, but then to live it out, God, and let us just grow closer to you as we do that. In your mighty name, we pray.